We turn to Psalm, Psalm 50. And we read Psalm 50 in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 45, which is an introduction to the subject of prayer. We hear the inspired word of God. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldst take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction, and casteth my words behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such and one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we do so in connection with Lord's Day 45. In the back of our Psalters on page 25, having concluded our treatment of the law, we now transition to the subject of prayer. Question 116. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us, and also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires 
continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which he will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only who hath manifest himself in his word. For all things he thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian cannot live without prayer. As we concluded our treatment of the Ten Commandments, we saw the natural transition to the subject of prayer. The knowledge of our sin drives us to our knees, and it causes us to acknowledge our need for help and our need for grace. We cannot live for a moment apart from God's sustaining hand and apart from His care. We need grace and we need strength day by day in order to persevere in the Christian life. But also the knowledge of Christ's work in us inspires us to thankfulness. It inspires praise, adoration, gratitude to God for what God has done. And it causes us to seek after and to show forth His praise. And that's the expression here of the psalmist, and especially verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Pay thy vows unto the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. We need to understand what God requires of us in prayer. What are the requisites of that prayer? And that's what the catechism gets at here. Three things in summary. Humility reverence and confidence we understand that the fear of God is the motivation of all prayer and again Psalm 50 expresses that the mighty God even the Lord has spoken God's greatness God's might the fact of God being the independent one he's not dependent on anyone else he owns all things he controls everything this great God before whom we bow in adoration and fear is the God to whom we pray. And as we take prayer upon our lips, we do so acknowledging who He is and what He's done for us. He's taken me into the wonder of the joy of salvation, and now I owe my all unto Him. There's good reason that the fathers put prayer at the last part of the Heidelberg Catechism. Now that we've seen who we are and what God has done, We're ready to learn how to increase in prayer. We all need to grow in this grace. And therefore, we note this evening the necessity of prayer, noting the urgent need and the required attitude. Lord's Lord's Day 45, on the basis and part of Psalm 50, identifies prayer as the highest expression of gratitude. We offer thanks We offer praise, adoration to God. Now we ask this question, why is prayer necessary? And the first answer that the catechism gives is because it's required of God. 
God requires it of us. That would be enough for us to know the urgency and the necessity of prayer. God says we ought do it. And if God commands us, that's enough. The child of God standing before the living God acknowledges God demands of me that I come into his presence in prayer. And the necessity of prayer then, objectively, is that God requires it of his children. Now we know God does more than that. He also works it. So that the marvelous wonder, and that's the mystery that encompasses the whole of prayer, is that God is the one working in us, the hungering and the thirsting, and God is the one bringing it to expression and causing us then to cry out to him. And he's the one then also working the fruit of that prayer. So that this is God's work. But more than that, prayer is not just an objective necessity. The catechism sets prayer also as a necessity of desire. It's that which is subjectively the desire of the child of God. God in his marvelous goodness works within us so that we cannot live apart from prayer. The child of God needs to pray. God forms a people who will show forth his praise. And they will do that through prayer. So that God works in our hearts. I love the Lord. And why do I love the Lord? Because he loves me. And because he loves me, I desire now to return to him a portion of that gratitude and thankfulness he's worked within my heart. God is glorified not only, but he works in us that desire and that motivation so that we see prayer as something necessary. We understand that I can't go a day without prayer because I need to commune and fellowship with my God. My God who has rescued me out of my misery, who's delivered me from the mire of sin and has given me to know the joy and wonder of my salvation. God works in me now that delight, that fellowship, that communication. The issue then of this Lord's Day is not merely the point, is prayer objectively necessary? Of course, God requires it, therefore it is. But it's this, why does the Christian have need of prayer? And the catechism answers that with two points. First, this is the chief this is the chief way of thankfulness. And then the second point, having to do with the fact that God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask it of him and are thankful. First of all, this is the chief way of thankfulness. The child of God is a thankful person. And as we seek to show our thankfulness, we do so by keeping his commandments, desiring to walk obediently before his face. But God works in us also this gift of prayer. And prayer is the way then that we make known to God our needs. It's the chief part of thankfulness and it's the way that we make known our needs to God. Now we can use some common illustrations just from the garden. We have some sunflowers in our garden. It's remarkable how those sunflowers will follow the sun during the course of the day. Beginning then looking in one direction, at evening, looking the other. Why is it that plants follow the sun? They're drawn to the sun, just as the child of God, regenerated by God, is drawn now to God. 
Why is it that a compass is drawn to north? By magnetic attraction, that compass is drawn to north. Jehovah God turns the Christian to himself because God has worked a wonder in his or her heart. The wonder of his deliverance and the wonder of the knowledge of misery. And knowing now the joy of salvation and the joy of salvation, that one desires thankfulness and desires to walk in thankfulness to God. God has taught us that it's good to seek his face. And the child of God desires to seek the face of God. But in addition to that, the child of God is needy. God is the independent one. We are dependent. And we learn the fact that in our need, there's one to whom we can cry, and that's Jehovah. He alone is able to answer our cries and satisfy our every need. So the believer, living out of that new life of Christ, seeks after, pants after the living God. He lives out of a new life, and that life is not satisfied with the earthly. That, satis- that life requires that which is spiritual and heavenly. And so prayer shows itself in praise, petition, repentance, adoration, joy, sorrow, trust, fear. All of that is expressed in prayer. Prayer is the response of the regenerated heart now, drawing near to the living God and acknowledging that covenant tie that binds him to the living God. A tie that's so glorious that nothing can separate him from that union. And desires now to live in fellowship and communion with the living God. As the child of God lives in that fellowship with God, the child of God knows who God is. He's Father. He's the one who alone is able to satisfy my every need. I'm tempted every day to think that earthly things will satisfy. And God says, no, they're not going to. What you need is me, and I alone will satisfy. And so God wants us to hunger and to thirst after him. And he satisfies us through that longing. He causes us to pray, to seek, to knock. And he promises that it will be given us. It shall be opened to us. Matthew 7, 7. Now we never imagine in that process that we're first and then God responds to us. God is always the one who is first. He's working that longing. He's working that seeking. He's the one that's working that knocking. God is the one working the thirsting and the hungering. God is the one who makes us pray. He's the one that causes us to seek. He's the one that moves us to knock. And he causes his redeemed children to seek, to ask, to pray to the God of their salvation. And then he answers those prayers. And he fulfills our needs. And he fills us with the spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Now this is a marvelous wonder. God could do it differently. God could just somehow automatically hook us up and make it so that we would never have to hunger. We would never have to ask. Similar to going to the hospital and just being put on an IV. But that's not the way God ordained the Christian to live. Now some propose this idea of prayer, of having to ask things of God and then waiting for God to give them to us is conditional. The idea then is set forth that we pray 
God responds and gives us gifts and that God is dependent on us and that the giving of those gifts is conditional upon our asking. Beloved, our asking does not earn anything. God does not depend upon us. Our asking is not the ground. It's not the reason why God would respond or give us his gifts. It's important for us to understand God's promises are always unconditional to his children. God promises that he will give grace, that he will give his spirit. And those are unconditional promises. Those promises are sure. Those promises will be realized. And that's simply the way God works. God says, seek and ye shall find. And God then works in us the grace to seek. That promise, seek and ye shall find, is not a conditional promise. It's an unconditional promise. God promises grace and the finding of the wonders and blessings to those who seek. And who are those who seek? God's elect, in whom God is at work, initiating that wonder and that work so that the regenerated child of God cannot live apart from God. And God is the one working in him that desire. God is the one satisfying that desire and rekindling that zeal within him. Jehovah God giving us promises that are unconditional and then realizing those promises in our lives. And pleased to do it marvelously through prayer. The regenerated child of God learns the beauty and the wonder of prayer. The regenerated child of God turns to God in his need and cries out to God and knows that Jehovah God has given me this means by which I open my soul to my covenant friend. And I live in a life then that is constantly communing and fellowshipping with him. Just think of all of the admonitions in Scripture about praying without ceasing. This is a continual process and effort that the child of God is engaged in. Jehovah God, working a wonder, the initial work of regeneration, and then the constant nurturing and feeding and providing of that spiritual life as the child of God lives through the Spirit living out of Christ, living as a branch out of a vine. Prayer can never be divorced from God's revelation of himself, his word. And so we realize the connection. We read God's word, and the response of the child of God to God's word is to pray, to express our thanksgiving to him, and to cry out to him in our need. And prayer then is the expression of that communion, that fellowship with the true God whom we know and we love and in whom we delight. As we live that life of friendship, there needs to be communication. No relationship can survive without that communication. And so it is. We know him from his word and we spend time in the word. And then we craft our prayers in connection with the word. And having read his promises... We respond by the wonder of His grace in our hearts. We hear what He's done for us. We hear the glorious promises that He's expressed to us. And we acknowledge, I can't live apart from Him. I need Him every moment of every day. And I live then in that communion. I call upon Him in trouble. 
I make known my thanksgivings unto him. And he speaks to our souls. And he moves us all the more to turn to him and to come to him in the confidence of faith, believing that as our Heavenly Father, the one whom we know and love, he will supply our every need. Never are we imagining that prayer is something that we do in order to add to our salvation. It's not something we do to add to God's glory. Jehovah God is at work. And expressed here in this psalm is that point in a vivid way. God comes to Israel and says, Can you, do you imagine that you can add anything to me? Do you imagine you can live apart from me? And then we have verses 7 through 15 where God expresses, I am God, even God alone. And expressing the fact that he owns everything. He's the one that controls everything. There's nothing that we can bring to him that he doesn't already have. We acknowledge in all of our prayer our thanksgiving, our adoration. And we acknowledge our complete dependence upon him and the fact that we owe our all to him. Prayer is God drawing the soul to himself and feeding that soul with the grace that we need day by day. And through grace, that soul hungers and thirsts all the more after holiness and perfect righteousness. And God fills and God continues to stir up so that there is no satisfaction apart from God. And ultimately then, that one is looking to life everlasting and the glory that awaits. God providing His grace and His Holy Spirit to the regenerated child living in the midst of this world who confesses and knows his great need. Now, beloved, there's a wonder here. We don't try to explain away the importance of prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, and Jesus emphasized the importance of prayer. Jesus taught us to pray for specific needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. The child of God seeks to be faithful to our Lord. And as we dig into the Lord's Prayer in the coming weeks, we grow in our understanding of those glorious promises that God has given and the means that He has employed in prayer. The wonder by which He satisfies our longing souls and grants us the grace that we need. As we confess then that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. Now that necessity of prayer is set forth here in the Catechism not only, but also the requisites. And that's question and answer 117. What are the requisites of that prayer? That is, what are the requirements of that prayer? And here's where three things are laid out. Humility, reverence, and confidence. And all of those flow out of, ultimately, the conclusion of the question and answer. He will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. The controlling principle of our prayers is that we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always using that exact terminology 
The prayer that Jesus teaches us doesn't use that exact terminology. But it means regardless of the words that we're using, we're consciously coming into the presence of God, acknowledging that the only right we have to come into his presence is through Jesus Christ and his name. We've been engrafted into Christ. We've been taken as those who were lost into his family, adopted and given a place. And as we know fellowship with him, we confess that he's the head of the covenant. He's our advocate. And he's the one alone through whom our prayers are heard. We are controlled by his spirit. And the life that we live, we know, is not ours. It's the life of Jesus Christ as his life now is living within us. It's out of this consciousness that our prayers rise, knowing that we owe our all to Jesus Christ. And God will hear his son. And we come to him then in the name of that beloved Savior who loved us unto death. The only possibility of God receiving us and hearing our prayer for what Christ did on our behalf. Jesus did not die on Calvary and was not raised and crowned with highest glory, honor, and dominion to give us every single thing that we might desire. No. But he was raised to such a glorious place in order that he might provide his church and his children with everything that they need. And the focus then is not on praying for everything that we want because Jesus is going to give it to us. It's praying for those things that God promises in his word to give us. And the focus then is on those things that God commands us to pray for. All of God's promises are included. Now again, those promises are unconditional. We could add this. All of God's promises are in Jesus Christ and for his sake. God's promises as unconditional promises are given for Christ's sake to his children. This is the death blow again of those who boast of conditional promises, conditional upon the will or work of men. A promise that is conditional upon man's work is not for Jesus' sake. It's for my sake then. God promises his grace and his Holy Spirit to all who ask them of him. That promise is sure. God will give his grace. It's not a conditional promise. God promises that he will give his grace and his Holy Spirit. And who are those who ask? Those who are his redeemed children. Those who have the wonder of life that's from above within them. And they request it of him. And he grants that request for Christ's sake, not for their sake. God promises salvation to all who believe. That doesn't make believing now conditional. God's promises are sure. They're everlasting to his elect children. As he now works the wonder of their believing, he works that faith in them, and they lay hold upon those promises, confessing the wonder of God's goodness, God's mercy that is undeserving. The content of our prayer then is very broad. And as we study the Lord's Prayer, we see the focus is on making known in prayer, as question 118 says, all things necessary for soul and body. All things necessary. And we do that in connection with God's will. We don't pray for those things that are outside of God's will. 
God does not will, for instance, the salvation of all men head for head. God does not promise that in every situation he's going to provide us with all the healing and recovery that we desire. Those would be prayers to change God's mind because God already has sovereignly ordained all things according to his perfect plan. And so we witness to our neighbors. And as we witness to neighbors, as we witness in the workplace, we pray that God will see to their salvation. If it be that they're his children. The salvation of God's children is sure. And God will save every last one of his children who are walking in unbelief. We don't know who they are. But for them we pray. And we do so not, again, as a prayer that somehow is conditional upon our witnessing and our work of grace in their lives. This is a prayer that Jehovah God will realize in his time through the means that he has ordained for Christ's sake. Our prayer is that God's elect be gathered out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And our desire is the salvation of our neighbor, our loved ones. They be God's elect. We pray for healing. We pray for recovery. But always include, thy will be done. Acknowledging that God's way is good. And as my heavenly Father, he knows better than me what I need. As he's working in me a life that's from above. And he's taking me to glory. We don't pray for God to bless America or any other country as if it's the kingdom of God. But we pray for God to bless his people as they're found in America and in every country in the midst of the world. We pray for God's church as it's found in America and in all of the countries of the world. And we do so again for Jesus' sake. That God might bring them to the fullness of that prayer for which our Lord prayed. That they might be all in all and one in me as we focus on Jesus and as we focus on praying in connection with his name our true attitude in prayer then is going to rise up and the catechism directs us to the Lord's prayer and those expressions in the Lord's prayer are that which flow off our lips we pray to the true God only who is our Father in heaven. We pray according to his word. His name, his kingdom, his will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray from the heart in sincerity and truth. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We pray in humility. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. We pray in the assurance of being heard. Amen. So let it be. Now it's clear from that that the unbeliever will not pray. Prayer is the response of the regenerated child of God to the living God. The cries of those who are lived in blasphemy of holy things. Those who do not know the fear of God. Those who are not walking in the pursuit of God's will. Have not faith. They're not living by faith. They do not pray. And notice the judgment that God commands upon them here in Psalm 50. Jehovah God making clear that I will not hear your cries. I will not hear your prayers. Rather, you face judgment and you need to repent and turn 
from your evil ways. They don't cry out in a reverent, heartfelt desire for the majesty and the glory of God. And in hell, their cry to God will be held against them. How? It's a testimony. They know that there's a God. They know that there's a God. And evidence of that is the fact that they cried out to Him. They didn't do so in true faith. But they cried out to Him. But they refused to obey Him. And they refused to honor Him. And their judgment then will be all the greater. Humility and reverence are required. Now we understand that, even in terms of our own experience in this world. Even some men of prominence would perhaps reject or be insulted by some who do not come to them in the right way. If someone approaches the president, he must do so with respect and with honor. If someone approaches a judge whom God has placed in a position of authority, they do so with respect. And if one comes with no respect, and if one comes with no honor, then even that earthly man might throw him out and say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to hear you. The living God, the majesty on high, the thrice holy God will do much more. He will cast out the haughty petitioner into the everlasting torments of hell and testify to him in the fury of his wrath that I never knew you. The only hope of turning away the wrath of God is for Jesus' sake. And that the child of God clings to. I know who I am in Jesus. And praying for Jesus' sake means that our approach to God is entirely in connection with the awareness of my sin, my unworthiness, and the wonder of what the cross means to me. I know what Jesus has done for me. And as I lift my voice to the living God, I acknowledge that He is a God to whom I can come only in the name of my beloved Savior who loved me and gave His life for me. In that way, we acknowledge God as God. Now, prayer is going to be a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. We struggle to pray. And that's good. A prayer that causes little struggle is not much of a prayer. But a prayer that seeks to focus on God, to focus on His glory, to make known from the depths of my heart my true need and my willingness to submit to God and to pursue His will in His way requires effort. My thoughts are so earthly. My ambitions and desires are so earthly. And for me to acknowledge the sovereignty of God And the fact that God's will is good is difficult. And so reverence, humility, and confidence must characterize our prayer. Now that fervency comes easy when we have a heavy burden. We are fervent in prayer in times of trial. But what about times when the cause is God's? The burden is not so much mine. Are we as fervent then? Those are things, beloved, that we have to work at. When the need is the glory of God and His honor and the preservation of His church and the promotion of the truth, the needs of the congregation, we must similarly 
come to God with fervency in prayer, acknowledging God's will be done. And what a blessing to be able to pray. And we need never concern ourselves with a lack of content in our prayers. Just open up a church directory and take out a Bible, and you have plenty to pray for. Hours, days you could spend in prayer. Do we make these things a matter of fervent prayer? It's easy to ignore sometimes the things of God, the things of God's church, the witness of God in the world, the truth as it's being set forth, until somehow a crisis occurs. And then we're passionate, and then we're on our knees. But are we doing so even without that crisis? Making God's word and God's will our fervent prayer and trusting that God will hear our prayer for Christ's sake. For Jesus' sake, there are definite rights to definite blessings for definite individuals. Jesus went to Calvary not just for salvation in some general sense, but for a definite number of peoples and for a definite wonder for each of those individual persons. In prayer, we ask for that which God has promised to give us. Now, there's a sense in which God's promises are general for the church. But God also, in Jesus Christ, gives specific individuals that which will be theirs in Christ. And that's going to differ. For some, God is going to send cancer, and he's going to use it to take them to heaven. In other instances, God is going to send cancer, and he's going to provide treatment. And he's going to cause yet a long and fruitful life afterward. We cry out to God, knowing not what God's intention, what God's way is for us, but acknowledging God's hand and for Christ's sake and acknowledging that while we have a right to the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, we realize that those blessings differ according to the Sovereign plan of Jehovah. Prayer is not going to change God's mind. Prayer is not going to change the blessings that God has in store for us. As soon as we attempt to change God's mind, our request ceases to be a prayer. The heavenly storehouse is not a large warehouse that's just filled with blessings that are only given as individuals persuade God that they need them. That heavenly storehouse is not operated on a first-come, first-served basis. The blessings never run out of that storehouse. We can never live apart from the blessings that God is pleased to provide out of that storehouse. We need His grace day by day. We need the power of His Holy Spirit constantly. And those blessings in God's storehouse are all earmarked specifically for specific individuals. And God gives them to those individuals as God works in their hearts the desire to cry out for them and to request them of Him. And every gift, every blessing will be distributed. God is sovereign over all. He's working the request. He's working the blessing. God is a God of order. And God is not doing it again as a condition that needs to be fulfilled. God is doing it as an unconditional promise by which He will keep His children. He will preserve them through life 
to everlasting glory. And he will work in them. The wonder not only of prayer, but also the experience then of the receipt of those blessings. I'm unworthy. You're unworthy. But for the sake of Christ, he will hear our prayer. And for the sake of Christ, he will grant us all that which Christ earned for me. Beloved, is that your attitude toward prayer? Do you make spiritual blessings a matter of fervent request before God? It's this attitude by which God is glorified, by which thankfulness abounds and is shown. As we come in reverence, we come in humility, but we come boldly, not with a boldness of pride, but we come boldness because of the faith that God has worked in our hearts and the blessed assurance that is ours that He loves me and He will provide me with everything that I need. Our confidence is in Christ. Let us come Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 10, verse 22. We come in shame, hanging our heads because of our sin, but that doesn't rule out the fact that we come with the boldness of believing that for Christ's sake, even my needs will be met. Beloved, when we pray in this manner, we're going to include then phrases like, Thy will be done. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Our prayer is for God's will, for Jesus' sake. And so Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer as our model. Notice it's plural. We don't just come into God's presence with our own personal requests. We include the requests of our fellow saints, the requests of our family members. And together we grow in grace. Together we look to show the fullness of that gratitude and to experience the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And God works in us that assurance. Your prayer is heard. Now the fact that we don't always experience that is no fault on God. It owns to the imperfections of our prayers, the earthly mindedness with which we pray. But God answers our prayers and He causes His face to shine on us. What a wonder. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, verse 23, and him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Again, not a conditional promise. This is an unconditional assurance. God granting that salvation, granting that shining of His face upon His children, giving us peace, a peace by which we know that everything is being worked out for good, that He's our God, and that there's no need for battling and warring against His will in our life, but He gives us peace in knowing that all is well. And he's working everything for our good. Even though the way is different than perhaps what we desire, it's good. God, not only by his grace enabling us to pray, but also enabling us to receive his response, his answers, and to confess that his way is good for Christ's sake. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, teach us to pray. What a blessing and what a wonder 
that thou hast given us to know, this fellowship and communion with thee. And as we stumble and stammer and try to define the wonder in human terms, Lord, we know the joy of thy work in our hearts. We know that longing and that thirsting that thou hast implanted therein. And may we show that thankfulness and that praise, assured that for Christ's sake thou wilt hear and thou wilt grant us the grace that we need day by day. We pray this for his sake. Amen. We turn to Psalter number 386. O Lord, make haste to hear my cry. To thee I call, on thee rely. Notice there the reference to praying in the morning, praying at noon, and praying at night. The whole of our life comprised of prayer. We sing the first three stanzas, one, two, and three of 386.